Hello and welcome. These are some sermons given by Monsignor Rosito from the years 1995 to the year 2016. Enjoy. The Feast of the Ascension of Our Lord into Heaven, and the epistle is taken from the beginning of the book of the Acts of the Apostles. In the former book, O Theophilus, I spoke of all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day on which he was taken up, after he had given commandments through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them also he showed himself alive after his passion by many proofs during forty days, appearing to them and speaking of the kingdom of God. And while eating with them, he charged them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, of which you have heard, said he, by my mouth. For John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days hence. They therefore who had come together began to ask him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? But he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses for me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the very ends of the earth. And when he had said this, he was lifted up before their eyes, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing up to heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white garments and said to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up to heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven shall come in the same way as you have seen him going up to heaven. And the Holy Gospel is taken from the Gospel according to St. Mark. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. At that time, Jesus appeared to the eleven disciples as they were at table, and he upbraided them for their lack of faith and hardness of heart, in that they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into the whole world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he who does not believe shall be condemned. And these signs shall attend those who believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak in new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands upon the sick, and they shall get well. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sits at the right hand of God. But they went forth and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the preaching by the signs that followed. So far are the words of this day's Holy Gospel. And he said to them, Go into the whole world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved but he who does not believe shall be condemned. These are words taken from the gospel of this evening's Mass in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. My dear friends in Christ, how much time 
did God need to redeem the world? When we read the book of the Bible, the first pages tell us of the creation of the world and of man and the placing of man and woman in the garden of paradise with the commandment of all the trees they should eat except the one in the middle of the knowledge of good and evil. For whatever day they would eat of this tree, they would die the death. We know how Satan entered into that garden and tempted Eve, and behold, the fruit was pleasing, and she took and ate and gave to her husband who also ate, and thereby disobeyed the commandment of God. It is difficult to comprehend the extent of disobedience to God. Truly, our first parents had greater gifts than we are born with as a consequence of their departure from the Garden of Paradise with our fallen human nature. We tend to see only darkly through ignorance and with a weakness to follow that way that should lead us back again to God. But God gave a promise to these departing creatures from this garden I will send you a savior. There will be a woman whose son will crush the head of the serpent, who will lie and wait for his heel. And then the Bible goes on with the history that some of us know, more or less, of the growth of the human race, of the choosing of Noah, of the failure and the secondary choosing of Abraham, and the failure, finally the choosing of the promised one to come into the world to make known to mankind what we call the good news or the gospel, the preaching of the kingdom of God at hand. And we see this Savior coming very quietly into the picture of human history, living in a small remote village town in the northern country of Galilee for 30 years, unknown to the majority of his own townspeople as he came not an angel, not a great prophet, but God himself. The mystery that he would reveal that he was the true son of God, not figuratively, not by adoption, but truly, by nature. The second person of the Blessed Trinity himself came into this world to redeem mankind. And he spent three years preaching only to the people in the little country of Palestine, to the lost sheep, he said, of the house of Israel. And he failed for the most part, though there was enthusiastic following because of his miracles, because of his preaching. Nevertheless, it was difficult for them to grasp and to accept certain doctrines that he demanded. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you shall not have life in you. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. And as I live because of the Father, so he who eats me will live because of me. And so we have the beginning of a theology of redemption here. He came not just 
to preach, but to lay out a plan of salvation. And he offered this plan to be understood and to be responded to. And his contemporaries who had just participated in the miraculous multiplication of loaves the day before came seeking bread. And he said, I have other bread that you do not know. He who eats this bread will live forever. And they said, Lord, give us this bread. And then he told them, the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. As we fast forward history to our own times, we look upon these passages with a theology that has grown through church history. And the great doctors of the church, and the moral theologians who have built up this structure from the Gospels and God's revelation through Christ and tradition to the fact that God has chosen us in, with, and through Christ as the way through whom we will come back again to God. Separated as we were because of original sin, now through baptism and faith, we would once more find entry into that community with God that at death will be finalized after this life is over to the eternal rewards or punishments that will come as a consequence of our response or lack of response to this invitation of Christ and his church. So here we are then in our review of our catechism through the mystery of the incarnation, the birth of Christ, the um, life of Christ through Lent, the sufferings of Christ through his crucif death and, uh, crucifixion and death, and then the resurrection. Now we come to the ascension where Christ is taken up out of the sight of men to return now as a human being united through a hypostatic union of natures, human nature united to the divine nature of God in Christ, where as a man he sits at the right hand of the Father, both as God and man, to rule over those who have followed him along his path of salvation. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who believes not will be condemned. By our departure through Adam and Eve from this garden of paradise, we were condemned. Not unjustly, because the gift that God offered was a gift and not a right. And so Adam and Eve lost this gift for themselves and for us because it was not a right, but simply bringing us back to where we were, but though wounded because of separation from God, nevertheless, the best that we could have would be a human happiness, a peace, a joy, a pleasure that is fitted to our human nature. But you see, God was not satisfied to leave things at this level. He took pity on man, and he called him back again to communion with himself. Now, it's not a, uh, a group, it's not a club. God has no body, but it's a spiritual union. Because we have souls, we are capable through our rational intelligence and free will to act in spiritual ways, and God offers us a ladder 
up which we must climb to his level so that we can participate in his activities and not merely human activities. And so it's a divine vocation that we have been given through the redemptive plan of Christ to participate in his life, in his divinity, in his merits, and in his rewards. And this is what it means to be Catholic, to be changed, not by the works of man, but with the cooperation of men, but by the power of God. Unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. We told you last Sunday how a child who is a child cannot be an adult until he grows to the stature through the years and experience to maturity. He remains a child. And so you might say, our Lord said something like this, unless you grow up, you cannot enter the state of adulthood. And until you do so, you're kept out. This is the ideal, this is the goal, and therefore we cannot reach heaven until we grow in the stature of holiness and sanctification and redemption. And this is what our church is all about. This is what our way of life is all about. The following of Christ. Not in a sort of an imitation of Christ, but in a real participation in his life. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. St. Paul says that we have been grafted onto Christ. Now these are simple uh, illustrations, but they are key. And they can be understood by children as a man grafts a twig from a living tree onto another tree so that it begins to take its nourishment from the tree on which it is grafted and draws from the sap, from the root, the, the nourishment that comes into its life now, and it lives. So we were a wild growth that by baptism and faith have been grafted onto Christ and now share his life, his divinity, and puts upon us the obligation of living as branches of Christ, rooted in him, drawing nourishment from him, and producing the fruits that are worthy of him. Those who do the works of God are the children of God, and certainly Christ, the Son of God, by his nature, gave us the best and the most perfect example of a human being in whose image and likeness God had cast man when he first made man after his own image and likeness. And so we see then, we come to the completion of Christ's work as he was sent to this earth in this time of history past to fulfill his part in the redemption of man. But it goes on beyond that. He said, wait here, not many days hence the advocate whom I will send you from the Father, he will teach you all the truth and he will recall to your minds whatever I've told you. In other words, now Christ's work is finished and he goes back again and sits at the right hand of the Father but sends the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, to be with us, be with his church till the end of time. And he said, don't go out preaching yet, do not go out baptizing yet until you have received him. And by his power then will this distribution of my merits take place through you, through your preaching, 
through the faith in response that accepts this teaching and lives according to these teachings, they will then have of the Holy Ghost from the Holy Trinity as they have from me through my holy humanity united with the Trinity by the hypostatic union. So I will give life through the Holy Ghost and he will complete the work until the end of time. So how much time did it take God to redeem the world? It took him from creation until the termination of the world as we know it before this redemption is complete. And not all men will be saved. The question is, will you? Will you know enough and will you do enough to save your souls? How much is enough? Our Lord says, be you perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So he puts no limits on how much is enough. But... When the man asked him, what must I do to gain eternal life? He said, keep the commandments. You might say that's the bottom, the minimum. But if you would be perfect, sell what you have and come follow me. And he walked away sad because he was rich and didn't want to give up his wealth. But he was keeping the commandments. And so there's the spectrum of salvation from the lowest to the highest. And God gives to us according to our giving to him. Now, this is the structure of our spiritual life. We talk about living a spiritual life. We're not talking about an intellectual life. We're not talking about the soul life. We're talking about supernatural life, united with God, receiving of his gifts, faith, hope, and charity, the moral virtues, the other virtues that round out all that we've been considering so far. There is a theology. There is a structure of spirituality that unless you understand, you will find it difficult to cooperate with. And so we come then to this final episode, which will continue with the coming of the Holy Ghost on Pentecost Sunday. But we come to the Ascension in our Catechism on page 82, lesson 37. The question is, when did Christ ascend into heaven? And the answer, I'm sure you all know this much, Christ ascended body and soul into heaven on Ascension Day, 40 days after his resurrection. Why didn't he ascend into heaven from the grave when he rose from the dead? You can begin to see why it was necessary that Christ still remain for a while on this earth to complete his work. What was that? Well, the ascension took place from the Mount of Olives. Christ's apostles and disciples were present. It was full daylight. He gave his followers his last instructions. Then he raised his hands and blessed them. He told them to preach the gospel to all nations and promised to be with them to the end of the world. In a wonderful way, in the blessed sacrament, by his power of grace through the sacraments. He is with us, and we have the Blessed Sacrament. No other church has the Blessed Sacrament. No other religion, as sincere as they might be and as good as the members might be, they don't have our Lord. Only in his word and their understanding of it. We have so much rich fullness that we should thank God for his remaining with us after he ascended into heaven in a most humble form of the Holy Eucharist. We'll be talking about the sacraments, and I hope to expand your appreciation of the Mass and of the sacraments at that time. 
While he looked on, he was raised up by his own power. His own power lifted him up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. As he came at the nativity, so now he departs in the ascension. The disciples returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Their master had returned to heaven in glory, and his arrival there had opened to his followers the heavenly gates. There were those who say that the gates were opened at his resurrection, others that the gates of heaven were opened at his ascension. But the gates of heaven are open now. He had earned for men infinite grace. You know, the San Luis Dam over there between uh, Las Banas and Gilroy, you drive past, there's a big body of water there. But it does nobody any good unless there's a pipe to take the water to your home spigot to make it available to you. So we have uh, the hot and cold water uh, in the kitchen and the bathroom. We have it available, but you'll have to turn it on too to get it. So Christ has made available to us and to all men this reservoir of his marriage, his grace, his sanctification. But it has to be piped to the location where people are. And that is what his church does. It's the channel through which his grace is flow in the seven sacraments. And to whom have the seven sacraments and the mass been given? But to his church. And then it is up to those who belong to it to open up the spigots to receiving uh, these graces available to them at any time where they must cooperate. And so we see that the infinite merits are available but not necessarily received. This is important when we come to the question of uh, he died for many or did he die for all? Yes, he died for all but not everybody receives and so his effective graces were only for those who then cooperated and received them for their salvation. These are theological ideas that are important, though they're simple enough. He had earned for man infinite grace so that they were now able to attain the, the friendship of God himself. You know, we think of God so far away in heaven. He's invisible because he's beyond our capacity to grasp, but we have God available to us so directly, we take it for granted. It's like having gold that uh, you ignore. And you play with tin or copper and leave the gold to sit. God has given you the fullness of his gifts and we should know what they are and appreciate them. The friendship of God himself. No, it's not behind a wall. It's not a picture. It, it's God himself that we have available. When we pray, we pray directly to God. We ask the saints to help us. And certainly, we go through their intercession, but God himself hears us. Our Lord himself said last uh, Sunday, uh, Hitherto you have not asked in my name. Ask that your joy may be full. And I will not say that I will ask for you, but the Father himself loves you. And he will give you because you belong to him. This is our closeness to God. We don't appreciate it. We don't realize it. And perhaps we don't understand it. Maybe it's never been said. But it's being said tonight. Christ the king had gone home to prepare a place for men in heaven. 
We celebrate the Feast of the Ascension 40 days after Easter on Ascension Thursday. That's what tonight's all about. Why did Christ remain on earth 40 days after his resurrection? Why did he stay around for another 40 days? Christ remained on earth 40 days after his resurrection to prove that he had truly risen from the dead. You know, the important thing is that we believe that Christ is truly God. There are those who say, yes, he's divine, but he was adopted into the Trinity, or that God looked kindly upon him with favor. No, he's not a human being who was made God. He is God who became man and remains God and gives himself to you as God in the Holy Sacraments at Holy Mass. And he proved his divinity by his resurrection. No other sign, he said, will be given to this unbelieving generation except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah was in the belly of the well three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the earth, and he will rise again from the dead. Now, there are those who are skeptical and say, well, he didn't really die. He appeared to have died, but he was resuscitated, and he came back again to the appearance of men. Or there are others who say, well, uh, the apostles rethought the whole episode, and they began to see Christ in a new light, in a different aspect, and therefore their imagination um, made him present again. Well, there are a thousand and one possibilities. There are only a few probabilities, but there's only one reality. And this one truth has been given to us. Christ died, rose again from the dead, and he is coming again at the end of the world. Now, these are the sequence of events. He remained on earth to prove that he had truly risen from the dead in his body, in his humanity, perfected now, no more to suffer, no more to um, be limited. And the qualities of his resurrected body would be his for all eternity and will be an image of those qualities given to us if we share his resurrection and his reward in salvation. And he also rose, uh, remained for 40 days to complete the instruction of the apostles. Now remember, they were confused. They did not know that he had risen on Easter Sunday. He had told them, but they didn't understand. And so when Mary Magdalene comes and says, this tomb is empty, they were confused. What had happened? They ran to see, and there was no body there. Then they began to put it together. They remembered that he said, on the third day I will rise again. And so slowly this uh, lack of awareness, this ignorance, begins to dissipate. They begin to remember and put it together. Then our Lord appears to them. And he said, come, touch my hands, my side, and see that I'm not a ghost, but I really have a body. And be believing and not unbelieving. Thomas was not there. The next week he came, and he said, in the meantime, I will not believe unless I put my finger into his, si into his wounds and my hand into his side. And our Lord took him up. Thomas, come here. Put your finger to my wounds and your hand into my side. Be believing and, un not un and not unbelieving. Now, we know that it was hard for the apostles to accept this. This is the point. They weren't prepared. Now, our Lord had to send them into the world at this state. No, he had to gather them together, reassure them, and to remind them and to prepare them for the coming of the Holy Ghost 
in whose power and strength then they would go out and do the works of God by this grace of the Holy Spirit. But in the meantime, he chose Peter before. Now he fulfilled that choice in giving him the commission, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. You be the head now and take my place when I no longer will be among you. And I will be with you until the end of the world. Through you and your successors in this office of the Pope or the leader of all the bishops of the world of my church. So this was the work of Christ to be fulfilled in those 40 days after his resurrection. Now Christ's resurrection is an undoubted fact on which rests the Christian faith. St. Paul said, if Christ be not risen, in vain is our faith. Because if he didn't fulfill that promise, the last one that would be the final proof, then he's not God. And he cannot fulfill the promises he makes to us that he will raise us up again on the last day too. St. Paul says, If Christ is not risen, vain then is our preaching, vain too is your faith. And according to St. John, an eyewitness, quote, Many other signs also Jesus worked in the sight of his disciples, that's after his resurrection, which are not written in this book, the book he was writing at that time. But these are written, the things that he was writing down, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Now those who do not believe that Christ is the Son of God will be of the Antichrist. And we see who they are. They say, I don't believe that Jesus is God. He's a great man, he's a prophet, he's a holy person, but he's not God. They are of the Antichrist. And so this is key and essential to our faith as Catholics that we believe that Christ is divine. And his words are divine and his instructions are divine and his commandments bind us with the same power that God himself binds us, uh, whether it's through Adam and Eve or through our parents or through lawful authority or our obligations in nature. This is God's will for us, and Christ has told us now, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you become as little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your justice exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. So he's telling us, we better shape up, and we better find out what it takes to belong to this plan of salvation for our redemption. In the first place, Christ really died. His death was witnessed by many, both friends and enemies. It was proved by the soldier who plunged his spear into his side. Remember, blood and water flowed out. And when they came to his body to break his legs, he was already dead. These are executioners. They know when a person is dead. And they did not break his bones, but they pierced his side with a spear. His mother and disciples would have never buried him had they suspected the least chance of life. So these are human uh, approaches to this uh, situation of crucifixion and death and burial. Some unbelievers urged that Christ was dead only in appearance and that after an interval recovered from his swoon and left the grave. Why well, doesn't make sense because the Pharisees demanded Pontius Pilate set a guard of soldiers around the entrance of the tomb and that they seal it so that nobody could break that seal by opening the grave. Now would Christ come forth surrounded by all these precautions, even if he had been in a swoon? 
No, he was dead. The loss of blood following the scourging alone would have been enough to cause death, not to mention the wounds he received on the cross. In the second place, Christ really came to life. Now, there are some heretics in the early church who said that, well, he only appeared in a phantasm, in a spiritual sense, but not physically. That's a heresy. He truly appeared in his body, the same one he had, but glorified now after his resurrection. On the first Easter morning, he appeared to Mary Magdalene and the other women who sought him at the sepulcher. Then he appeared to Peter. In the evening, he walked with two disciples on the road to Emmaus. At night, he appeared to the assembled apostles, Thomas not being there. Nor were these witnesses easily deceived. The apostles did not at first believe the women. So they weren't making up a story. They weren't promoting some uh, cause. They didn't believe themselves until they were convinced by the appearances of Christ. They would not even believe their own senses, thinking the risen Savior was a ghost. Remember one episode when they were fishing and um, our Lord's on the seashore and he asked them, have you caught any fish? And he said, cast your net to the other side. And, you'll and then St. John tells St. Peter, it's the Lord. And uh, they come to shore, and there he has food prepared for them. And he eats with them. So it's not a phantasm, it's a reality. It's a physical Christ who rose from the dead and um, is not a ghost. See that it, uh, it is I and not an appearance. Christ has to call for something to eat to prove that he was not a ghost. St. Thomas refused to believe the other ten apostles who had seen Christ first. He only believed when our Lord appeared to him and bade him touch his wounds. Okay, now, all of these things are important because they're the confirming proofs to us. Our Lord said to Thomas, Thomas, because you have seen, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. So you see the importance of faith. He who believes, believes and is baptized. Baptism must also be accompanied by a belief or a faith, but it must be a living faith and not a dead faith. I believe, but I don't do anything about it. We must have a charity with hope to push us forward to doing the things, to making the choices, to avoiding the occasions of sin, to reconciling ourselves with God if we have sinned, to reinstate ourselves in his grace and in his life and in his merits and in his divinity. The Jews bribed the guards to say that while they were asleep, the disciples had stolen the body of Christ. Well, how are they going to get by this with their superiors? Such an act was made impossible by Christ's enemies themselves. They had sealed and guarded the tomb. Quote, so when they went and made the sepulcher secure, sealing the stone and setting a guard, St. Matthew tells us, and even supposing the guards to have fallen asleep, the great stone which covered the sepulchre could not have been moved without waking some at least of the guards. Finally, it is a remarkable circumstance that the guards were not punished for this breach of duty. What do we mean when we say that Christ sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty? When we say that Christ sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, we mean that our Lord as God is equal to the Father, and that as man, 
he shares above all the saints in the glory of his Father and exercises for all eternity the supreme authority of a king over all creatures, over all those whom he has redeemed. Those who are in hell do not belong to his kingdom nor to his authority. Christ as God is equal to the Father in all things. He said, I and the Father are one. But even as man, Christ is only next to God. He is above all the angels and saints. To sit at the right hand of uh, someone is a mark of honor from that person. Sit thou at my right hand, King David said in his Psalms, and until I make thy enemies thy footstool, you'll rule over them that hated you. Christ ascended into heaven in order to first enter into the glory he had merited. He earned his place in heaven as a man. And secondly, to send down the Holy Ghost on the church. So he went so he could send the Holy Ghost in his place. Thirdly, to be our intercessor with the Father. So when we have Mass, we are offering the Mass to the Father, not to Christ. We are offering the Mass to the Father through Christ. And if you read the prayers as we will, as we go through the Mass eventually, you'll see that many prayers are to Christ, but primarily through Christ to the Father. And so he is an intercessor for us with the Father. And finally, thirdly, fourthly, to prepare a place for us in heaven. Well, I'm sure that we will rise to the place that we have earned and there will be some lower, some higher, depending upon with what faith and hope and charity we lived our lives on this earth in imitation of Christ. To the perfection that we approach to the degree that we have these efforts and the handicaps against us will determine where we will finally arrive at the right hand of the Father in the kingdom of Christ. What do we mean when we say that Christ will come from thence to judge the living and the dead? This is eschatology. This is the end of the world. This is the, these are the events that are, we're looking forward to. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. When? Uh, at the end of a thousand years reign when he comes again? No. When he comes again, it will be the end of the world and that will be the final day of uh, universal judgment. When we say that Christ will come again or from thence to judge the living and the dead, we mean that on the last day our Lord will come to pronounce a sentence of eternal reward or of eternal punishment on everyone who has ever lived in this world. That will be quite a gathering. They say there are about five and a half billion people on earth today. But you extrapolate that backwards and there are billions and billions of people and who knows how far ahead we can uh, project this growth of the human race. But Christ will judge everyone. Jesus Christ will be our supreme judge because he is King of King and Lord of Lords. For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will render everyone according to his conduct, as St. Matthew tells us. And finally, Christ's teaching has changed the face of the earth. One poor young man teaching for three years in the hills and valleys of Galilee and dying a shameful death has brought life, light, love, peace, and hope into men's lives, even the lowliest. 
There are those who don't arise much in the human scale of values, but they're called equally with the greatest king or the most impressive genius. Everyone is called. If you are chosen to the degree that we respond to that call. So each child, each man, each woman, each human being is called to this salvation. And how long will it take God to bring men to salvation? To the end of the world. From the creation to the end of the world. And his love and his mercy and his operation and power and grace are all still active in the world such as it is today. And your chances of salvation are just as equal as those of Adam and Eve or any saint in between. So have hope. Christ is preparing a place. And when he comes in communion, he comes from the right hand of the Father with his glory to be a foretaste of the glory he has prepared for you. So receive him worthily with love, with devotion, with attention, with understanding, with appreciation, with preparation, because the sacraments depend upon your cooperation and the degree of uh, your state of soul and mind when you receive these holy sacraments. So receive them well with great preparation. Before Christ, the world was the abode of sin and vice, idolatry, polygamy, divorce, and slavery. What's so different today from that status before he came? We see the world has grown cold again, lost the faith, and even Catholics are being drawn into the world at its worst and losing this invitation. But let us hold on through tradition and faith and practice to these precious invitations given to us to follow Christ out of this world into his kingdom. We cannot serve two masters. The world is dark. It is weak. It is wayward. Why belong to it? We live in the world but not of it. And so this is the challenge that we have in going through our catechism to understand the nature of what my everyday activities must be in the state of grace through baptism and through my cooperation of practicing virtues that are difficult because the heart of man is inclined to evil with the world, the flesh, and the devil as his three big enemies. To overcome these, he needs a lot of faith, a lot of understanding, a lot of fortitude, a lot of hope, and a lot of charity. That God himself through the Holy Ghost will increase, but we'll continue to study this plan of God's salvation and our part in it as we go beyond this day of his ascension. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen.